Welcome to the Leanne McCoy podcast. On this podcast, we talk about a lot of things, mostly prayer, but also spiritual warfare, parenting adult kids, if that's even a thing, or if it should be. This is the place where I contemplate things that are too wonderful for me, where I share interviews with people whose lives have greatly influenced mine, or people who have some really great things to say, and where I remind you and me that no matter what we're going through, God's got this. I'm Leanne McCoy, and this is my podcast. January 2024 brings the culmination of 35 years as the pastor and wife at Thompson Station Church. My husband, Tom, decided several years back that he was ready to pass the baton and shift out of his role as the lead slash senior pastor. And so these past few years have been spent in active transition, and now the time has come for the official passing of the baton to become complete. February 1, Sam Landreth will become the lead pastor at Thompson Station Church, and Tom will become the founding pastor. With that transition comes a whole new world for us. And because we've been in this role for 35 years, it's been what we've done with our lives. But not only was this life the life we chose to live, It was also the life our children were born to live. On December 26, I sat down with my daughters to interview them so that I could include one episode with them reflecting on what it was like to be born and reared in the ministry. What started out to be one conversation turned into this mini-series nestled in my reflection series. I hope that you enjoy Michael and Kaylee's candor. These are true unscripted reflections. Michael's our firstborn. She's the mother of our granddaughters, Misty, who's in the seventh grade, and River, who's in the third grade. She's engaged to be married to John in October of this year. Michael serves as the Community Development Director of the Pregnancy Centers of Middle Tennessee. Kaylee's the mother of our grandson, Jackson, who is eight months old. She's married to Jeff and lives in Colorado, in my opinion, way too far away from me. Coming soon, she and I are going to embark on an adventure of podcasting together. I'll share more about that in the coming weeks. The little baby voice in the background of this recording is Jackson. His future Uncle John was on baby duty as we were recording. Oh my goodness, we are in for a treat today. I would have never in a million years imagined that we could um, have the conversation we're about to have. (laughs) And once we have it, I may wish we (laughs) never re-have it for another million years, no telling. But anyway, I'm excited today because I'm going to be talking with my daughters, Michael and Kaylee. um, And we're going to reflect on uh, the past, this whole month, I'm going to be reflecting on the 35 years in ministry because as you all know, because I've mentioned it before, Tom and I will be officially um, out of the seat, him as the lead pastor and me out of my seat as being on staff with him at Thompson Station Church. That happens on January. Well, really, I guess, what? how many, how many days does January have, 30 or 31? 31. So on January 31, I guess it's official. And, um, but our last Sunday will be January 28. And so as part of this month of reflecting, I had invited um, Michael and Kaylee to come along and reflect with me on what it was like to grow up in the pastor's home, what their life is like. And so I'm calling this born and reared in ministry. And our, our hope, of course, is that this will Really, um, for many of you, it'll be entertaining. (laughs) For some of you, it might not so much, well, I don't know, entertaining in a drama kind of way, maybe. But then for others, we're hopeful that it might really encourage other PKs and other families that are in the ministry. So with that said, we're going to start, guys, by um, talking about what it was like to be a PK and... um, you all in my podcast world may not know it. Of course, Michael and Kaylee do know it, but their dad grew up both a PK and an MK. For those that are not familiar with that, it would be a preacher's kid and a missionary kid. So their dad had an experience like this in his grown up years as well. I did not. I grew up, my dad was a deacon. He was also like chairman of the personnel team. He would be like, you know, number one volunteer in the church. But having lived both lives, I can see how that is very, very different than um, the life of actually growing up as the as the preacher's kid. But um, Michael and Kaylee, one of the things I realized was you don't hear people called a TK, a teacher's kid, or a, even a, 
a, a doctor's kid. No, no DKs out there. It's not even any CEO case. And Michael, you mentioned there's no LKs, lawyers' kids. And so, why do y'all think that is? Why do only PKs and MKs get the get the the two letter mark? The label. Yeah, the label. You want me to share first? I don't know. It might be easier if she directs the question. <laughs> <laughs> I toss out there. Okay, I'm, I need a ball. We need to throw a ball around. So, Michael, you should tell. Do you got any thoughts on that? Well, I think it's because PKs and maybe MKs. I haven't heard MKs as much as I've heard PKs. Because even, like, in my experience growing up as I got older and meeting people and in my single life, um, if people men that I was talking to or going to meet ever found out I was a pastor's kid, they would go, Oh, you're a PK. Yeah. There's a stigma to a PK. It came with something. Especially <laughs> as a girl. I mean, uh, especially there's the country girl. music songs about it. There's country music songs about the pastor's daughter. Oh, you know, no. The pastor's daughter. Are there any songs about the sons or just no. daughters? Oh, oh man. Daughters. Okay. Um, okay. And then I also got asked, are you that kind of PK or just the <laughs> PK? Um, so there's a negative, I guess, in the real world or, you know, yeah. the non-church uh, world. The, that kind of PK might have been good for those type of people, but in our church world, that kind of PK was never a good a good thing necessarily good reputation necessarily. Yeah, um, and I have been labeled both. Okay, <laughs> throughout my life, um, but I think it's because uh, the church sees the pastor's family as maybe something that's not even obtainable or um, at a higher standard, set up on a pedestal. Something that the other families can, if we could only be like this pastor's family that's always in church and their kids are always in Sunday school or always in choir or extracurriculars or camps or do everything, you know, um, and what people also don't know is parents are called into ministry and kids are born into ministry. And so I think the PK is kind of a social status uh, label in the church wise is yeah. That we're held to a higher standard. And so sometimes being a PK can be a negative because we aren't necessarily able to achieve that perfection of higher standard that that family's required to keep. Or it can be positive, like, well, why couldn't you be like that PK that, you know, is just so full of faith and the spirit and excited. <laughs> so I think right. that's why. Um, and in the doctors and lawyers world, there's not one specific doctor. Like maybe it's yeah. true for the head of a hospital's doctor's kids, or maybe it's true for a lawyer firm that it's the highest lawyer on that firm, but it's a place of leadership. I mean, I used to be arrogant or still am sometimes, but called myself, I'm the pastor's kid. I am the very important princess. I'm the, <laughs> I'm the princess the of the born. church, you know, I'm the princess of the church and dad being there so long, it let me grow into that role, whether good or bad or both. Well, we say the church prayed you into existence. So I was the church's kid. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. even my parents' kid. Yeah. So talk about pressure there in and of itself <laughs> that you've got to be that church's kid That's in what particularly. I was, what I was what I would add to that is that I think that it's because like the reason that the stigma and the term exists is because of the like the perception of the pastor and his family being closer to God. Like people put them up on a pedestal and then there's this like spiritual hierarchy. And so I feel like it's because of the vocational nature of the pastor and his wife. In our case, like it's not just the pastor. Like I feel like I'm the pastor's kids because mom, you were so, mm -hmm. or, or, you know, so involved all the time. It wasn't like you were a school teacher and taught a Sunday school class on Sunday morning. Like you were employed by the church most of my childhood. And so I feel like it's because of the, because people admire the pastor's family. And because like, I mean, I remember dozens of times that you and dad were called because there's a crisis, like a huge mm -hmm. loss. And in, uh, in the members of our community's lives and even people that maybe only came to church a handful of times a year, but they still like, if they face a life crisis, they're calling you. They're not mm -hmm. calling their therapist that they pay to see once a month. They're not calling their kids 
second grade teacher. They're not calling their doctor. They're calling their pastor who they perceive as their spiritual leader, who they choose to, you know, like even if they don't go to church regularly, but if they, the person that they trust enough to spiritually lead them, like, I feel like that's why the stigma exists. And like what you're saying about the dichotomy between the like <laughs> rebellious PK, like, she holds tight to me and the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to look at this song. Motorcycle. Yes. And I've been on the backseat of some motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, yeah, like the boys that are dating you hope that you're the rebellious kind of PK. But then I dated some boys, or at least one, that like he put us on such a high pedestal that it was like a perpetual disappointment as he got to know our family on a personal level mm. because we are just humans, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, he was perpetually disappointed and feeling like, well, you should have this, you, you should be amazing, more, <laughs> you know, you should yeah. be more emotionally stable and you should be more this, that, and the other, because this is who you are in the community. And not yeah. have real life experiences. Like I also felt like, that too with um mm -hmm. and i used to say the whole reason i didn't date until i was like my first kiss and first boyfriend was at 15 years old and i had friends all through middle school and freshman year that were dating and having kisses and everybody the boys are scared yeah <laughs> scared to ask you out. it's not because you were pretty no i was gorgeous <laughs> <laughs> and i would even have guys i was like well why why do you think she's pretty or why don't why don't you think i'm pretty or why don't you like me like we're good friends why wouldn't you like me that way and they would tell me they would say you're beautiful but you're unobtainable you're pastor tom's daughter right. like okay and and mm -hmm. I think that's how I ended up with my first boyfriend that later ended up my kid's father and my mess and my story was because he's the first guy that didn't care that Tom McCoy was but my he daddy. Also, mm -hmm. he and his parents lived in a totally different community from the majority of yeah. the church members. We were 30 minutes so away from that. that. I got to run away to mm -hmm. Columbia to get out from under the veil or the bubble that is the Tom Sensation Church community where I couldn't step foot. Like even to this day, I can step foot in Nashville and still, pe still, still see people who know me because yeah. of who my dad is. You know, but when I went to Columbia, which at the time was a poorer area or not as up built up as Franklin, which yes, Columbia's growing now and I'd probably see people there, but it's been nice. It was nice to run away during high school because mm -hmm. I got to be someone totally different. I got to explore who I was and who I wanted to be, whether that was very poor decisions that I made. I got to be under out from under the thumb or the shadow that was the McCoy legacy of Thompson station church. Yeah. Yeah. And so that happened because, and then it was the first boy who didn't care that Tom McCoy was my daddy. Like even people in Independence High School, when I went there freshman and sophomore year, people I never met in my life, didn't even really see at church. I would sit in art class when you had classes with older kids, like your freshman or sophomore. And if you're in art, you have class with like juniors and seniors. I had a junior boy sitting with me when I was a freshman in high school at Independence, never seen this kid a day in my life. I recognized him from school, like just in passing when you have a school of 500, 600 kids. But he said, you're that pastor's daughter, aren't you? And I was like, who are you? <laughs> like, and that's the other thing that about big church our church specifically is that like, it's not like we were in this tiny little church full of elderly people that yeah, only had a hundred people a Sunday. Like we were, especially when we were young, like, and the church still is, but like it goes and it's gone through different seasons at different times. But when we were children and growing up, it was thriving and growing at least a hundred or 200 members a year. Mm -hmm. And so it was constantly, it, it, the church carried a huge presence, huge in presence the in the community. Yeah. And so whether people went to that church and it's also, it is the church that people, if one Sunday they feel like, Hmm, I think life is getting really hard and I really could use some help and yeah. I need some support. I'm going to go to church. Like it's the church of the community that people or, choose because there's dozens of churches mm -hmm. in the, you know, 10 miles square radius or whatever around the church, but it's the big one right. in the mm -hmm. small town and the big church, church small town. People mm -hmm. chose to go in Easter or mm -hmm. new year's Eve. Like, you right. know, mm -hmm. the, the people that only go to church on the big religious holidays like Easter and Christmas, 
Thompson Station Church was the one they chose because it was the biggest one, the one most well-known. Not to mention, it's right there on Highway 31. Anybody who drives north from Spring Hill to go to work in Franklin, Brentwood, Nashville, you're going to pass that church. So what church are you going to think of when, hey, I should be in church today. It's Easter. This would really make my mom happy or my grandma happy if I went to church and showed her that I was at church. Here's my selfie church. Top Station Church, you know. And my selfie church. <laughs> it's true. There are people like that that aren't involved and they feel the need to show up. And it is because the church had such a strong presence in the community. People who didn't go to that church knew of that church. Um, you know, massive VBSs that... Other churches would even say, I know we've always talked about this. I was thinking about VBS too. I'm like, yeah, like, and who's not going to take, I have an eight month old. So it's like, who's not going to take advantage of the free childcare for five days in a row in the middle of summer? Yeah, exactly. You're getting tired of that. Sunday morning and evening VBS. Yeah. The Disney World VBS, they used to call it. Yeah. Yeah. Churches sometimes don't even have VBS and they definitely won't the week we have it. Because it was such a big deal. Well, I think as I'm listening to y'all talk, one of the reasons um, that a PK is a thing is because of the nature of, you know, even I was thinking as y'all were talking, how when people join, we used to say, you've joined our faith family. Mm -hmm. So you would even call church a family. You don't call your medical practice a family. You don't call your legal practice, you know, a family, even though you want to have healthy relationships inside of your work environment. And many do. And I'm sure there are some small businesses and even larger ones that can create a family type atmosphere, but not like the way church is done, because church is not just a vocation. It's a, you know, it's a calling and it's a, a very relational work. It's very much about, um, interpersonal relationships. And I think that's what I'm hearing y'all say, you know, as kids, you're, you're expressing it really well, what it feels like. And another thing uh, I would say is that y'all are expressing what I'm hearing is a love, hate, kind of a love, hate relationship with it. Cause, and, and it sounds like it's a pretty extreme. It's not, there's nothing in between really. It's all, it's all wonderful. It's all terrible. Not so much. I remember much. one time somebody asking me like, what's it like to be a, the pastor's daughter? And I'm like, I don't, I don't even know how to answer that question because I don't have anything to compare it to. Yeah. And in our case, which does set us apart from other pastors' kids, is that like y'all came to TSC in, when you were 25 years old and you stayed your entire which is career, of. so to speak. Yeah. I think that average right. stays so like lots six of, years. Right. Yeah, or lots even less. Of, yeah. Most pastors' kids get to experience multiple different churches, but for and us, it's just in different communities and different mm-hmm. towns, different states. But for us, it's just the one. And so, like when I got asked that question as a kid, I'm like, I don't even now. Like I can, I can imagine and articulate because I have you know grown up and had different perspectives offered to me through relationships with other people. Like my husband's is is the son of a lineman and a teacher, mm-hmm. and so like. I mean, that's as all American, hardworking mm-hmm. people as you can get. And it's so different from what we experience as mm-hmm. the royal family. <laughs> and we became royal because we were here so I mean, long. and they called yeah. us the other family. Like, and other people, like, reflected that back to us, too. Like, I remember Leah calling mm-hmm. us the first family. Uh-huh. You know, like, <laughs> now we're the founding pastor's family. I mean, come on, <laughs> Sam, you better not drop the blame of founding fathers of America. Yeah, right. Whoa. No pressure no at pressure. all. <laughs> I mean, I even joked with Katie, and you might want to take this out, but I was telling little Everett, I was like, I can tell you how to be a PK. I can tell you all the ins and outs. So Katie's like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. No and, and, no yeah, pressure. no pressure at all. We're going to try not to uh, speak that over other pastors' kids, but I definitely no. think being here. For this long, I mean, you know, I'm living in the home we moved into when I was 10, and I'm no further than 10 miles from the home I was brought home from the hospital in. Yeah. Being here our entire lives has created more knowledge. And while we may run, you know, 1,500, 2,000 people and even more on like Christmas Eve, I think dad said 3,600 people were there for those four services. Like, those aren't always consistent people. Like that's right. tens of thousands of people that it's are in people our system yeah. that know yeah. of Tom that's McCoy. True. So it's not just 2000 families know Tom McCoy and yeah. Lamb McCoy. It's 
50,000 people, you know, yeah. there's so much. And there's people that have moved years. away and that, I mean, and not to mention the, the missionaries and the other pastors. Well, and the OG church yeah. that started every other church because of every little disagreement. Yeah, all the drama. founded every church in Thompson Station. Now, they weren't all started over disagreements, but, but people they were left. It's like a blood transfusion from TSC to all the churches. There are people that are... That are transfused into every church in Thompson Station and Spring Hill, and some even in Columbia that started at Thompson Station. And we're grateful for that. (laughs) (laughs) And we're grateful they're going and making a difference. That's right. That's right. And I've always told y'all, I wanted, like, Mom, we've watched you be hurt, which I think hurt us in turn, too, is that we watched people hurt our parents. I became very protective of dad growing up. Because I felt like oh, I you heard really things. Did. No, I know. I argued and glared at people and told them off because mm. my daddy was so special to me. And then people just said things to him or they would tease him in oh my front gosh, of or me. I would hear them gossiping. Like, yes, when you guys would go too. on vacation or you were gone for a Sunday, everyone thought, you know, well, I heard they did this. And I heard they're they went oh, here. here and or, it's just like, I wanted dad, to walk up to them and say, I heard it's none of your business. <laughs> Dad would tell us it. we couldn't post things on social media or we couldn't tell people about the boat we had or we couldn't yeah. when we traveled to these wonderful places sometimes so we had to make ourselves smaller to make people other people feel, feel okay. Yeah. Because people would yeah. offer their condos at the beach for us to stay and we, you guys would just have to pay for gas and back and food for us while we were there. Or, but people would look people at that did, and judge us and think like, oh, it's our condo and so we shouldn't be getting this but it's like, no, like well, there are niceties. Nice like you said, it's people a love-hate don't want relationship. People to, uh, to, to live a lavish lifestyle because pastors' families aren't supposed to live this lavish lifestyle. I mean, so what if our family invested well and was smart with their money and saved? That apparently didn't matter. Like, for, well, because it's not just that, but it's also yeah. like, I mean, the principle, there's a lot of... Um, I think I've witnessed, because in different missions experiences that i've had around the world is that there's a there's and tell them you've been on a lot of mission trips yeah a lot i do you know how many lived she doesn't even know yeah lots of okay that was a part of your growing up mission trips and as a young adult like i spent like month or two in haiti or mozambique like all over yeah and as i witnessed those people that have gone from the very lavish american lifestyle even a middle-class American lifestyle is incredibly abundant and appear wealthy compared to the places that I've been around the world and watching those, those people that chose as in their thirties or forties to leave a comfortable lifestyle in America, to live in a third world country. There's a lot of potential for pride and self-righteousness in Mm. a walk of poverty and service Mm. to, to the gospel and to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And it's tricky. Mm-hmm. And so there's some perception that like, well, if you're in ministry, then you should be doing what Jesus said to the rich young ruler. and You should sell everything you have and go and follow him. So like you shouldn't, we have like this guilt shame complex over having nice things. Yeah. Um, and we were taught at a young that. age yeah. to not talk about it. Right. And that's what I'm saying. It's like we were, we had to like, that we were told, be, be telling people that we're going these yeah. places because yeah. we don't want people to get the wrong idea. It wasn't like dad or y'all wanted to be secretive of what we did right, in our like life, we used but to you wanted trips. to make sure that we were not causing a stumbling block for somebody else in our life that yeah. may cause them to look at the church in a negative connotation because we're not living the life in poverty. where. We and there's also everything. history, historically, the church, like, paying indulgences and the priests getting rich and having these lavish things like, you know, hundreds of years ago in Europe, there's that history in the church of the religious elite taking advantage of the people in the community Mm -hmm. to, in order to, you know, pad their own pockets. But what you were saying is like, there were times that we went on family trips to the Bahamas and it was the same thing. We stayed with friends. And the reason that we even had that connection was because dad was invited to preach at the church there, but there's no way to give all that context to To the greater community. It just becomes, we mention it to 
one or two of our peers to our friends because we're excited about it. And then they tell their parents and their parents tell their friends. And then it gets blown way out of proportion. Like all of a sudden we're we spent thousands of dollars. Yeah. Which means, and then they question that because they're always told that they're supposed to tithe. So it's like, well, why are we, why are we paying for the McCoys to go to the Bahamas? Yeah. You know, like we're supposed to be paying for vacation Bible school and for that next building we're building and all the things. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I can see how that would, it's interesting to hear y'all talk about that and reflecting on it because I never really thought about that, that trying to be discreet would see sound (laughs) one way to that creating shame in you guys. Like that's, um, that's very interesting. We weren't living a life that we could, enjoy and share right yeah yeah like everybody else i still struggle with that on social media like Mm. what do i share and what do i not share and how do i share in a way i think it's so ingrained in my head appropriate well i even think that it's so ingrained in my head that i do it secondhand now i don't have to look at my pictures and say oh oh would dad approve of this picture i just look at him and i upload the ones i know he would approve of but i don't Mm. even have to think about it anymore it just happens yeah now i do have other social media like i have a ton of people on facebook that are church related and Uh people that go to top station and then just people the connections i've made on facebook are connections directly related to my childhood and my church life of being a member at Thompson station and not just the pastor's kid there, but I have different social media, like Snapchat. I still have 31 years old might not should have that, but even TikTok <laughs> on those social no, media no platforms, judgment. I don't necessarily let everybody and their brother yeah. in on those. Like I might get follow requests or I might get friend requests on different platforms and I don't accept them like I do on Facebook on Facebook. Mm -hmm. I'll accept them unless I work. If I work with you, I'm not going to, I just think that work and personal life should still be separate. Maybe Mm -hmm. not personal and church life, but work and and Mm -hmm. life should be separate. But on Snapchat and TikTok, I might share stories or experiences or trips or things that I'm doing in my own life. But the only people that get to see those are family or friends or people I know that know the full context that I'm not having to give a big paragraph of, Oh, I got to do this because of X Yeah. or, Oh, I'm indulging in this. Well, and that's something like that, that those doctors, kids and lawyers, kids don't ever have to worry about because people right. just assume, well, they're, they got the money. They're living their life. Like, <laughs> right. They're taking care of their kids and they're doing fun things and other good for things them. that other that other families might be even celebrated by their friends. Like, Oh, that's so great that they get to do that. And that they're successful. We'll be judged for because yeah. of the, because money in church is like a touchy yeah. subject. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know what? I remember one time and this, it just has to do with money. I, in fact, I kept the statement from the church, but Kaylee, your dad was preaching cause it was one of those building campaigns and he asked everybody to make a commitment to X amount that would be a faith commitment. Do you remember this? And you made a commitment and yeah. it was it, $40 a month, I think. And then you turned it in and dad's like, what are you doing? Do you remember that? And you were like, well, you said it needed to be a faith commitment. <laughs> well, and you were what? You were in middle school? I was school? like 10. Yeah. She was like 10. I was elementary school. No, but the statement I have shows that that commitment was paid in full. Like she did yeah. it. And I was like, over the course of the three years, it was like $360. Maybe it was $20 a month because it was mm-hmm. three years, 36 months. Or I don't know. It but was you whatever. did it at 10, which is more than most, some adults would even right. commit. Right, so. right. So some of those carpet squares, Kayla, you paid for. <laughs> Probably pay for 10 carpet squares. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. Carpet That's carpet pretty impressive. Oh, goodness. <laughs> I would say that I gave this church well, a lot better. Well, and that better was something else years. that people don't ever <laughs> yeah, know. Yeah, then your childhood. Yes. <laughs> like, people, I don't even know if people know it. And it's like, okay, so like, should this be communicated? Should it not? Is it just for our own preservation of ego? But like, as far as my understanding is that our your entire life in ministry, you were giving 15 to 20% of your income to yeah. the church. It wasn't like you were just being paid from the church and because it came straight from the church, you didn't also it was make a, that sacrifice right. and give what you were calling your flock, your, your community to give and up and beyond that. Right. Because right. you are the leaders like, and you do have to take that stuff, but people don't even think about that because they're like, oh, well, you're, 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 you're tithing, tithing, tithing tithe. but then you're getting, yeah, you're yeah, tithing yeah, on a tithe. Right. <laughs> That but, is true. Yeah. But that's your income. And that's what God calls us to do is to tithe on our income. So just because your job's at the church doesn't mean you're exempt from tithing. That you don't do it. Yeah. Right. That is such an interesting 
conversation about the the family's quote success and you know having to be more careful with that rather than to be able to celebrate it and because we did and tom does many times and we are very grateful the church has treated us very well and then we've also had minute i've had ministry success away from the church that has been great too but just that kind of funny thing of not knowing can you celebrate that book being released should you just keep it on the down low because it would seem prideful right right well and i also i know for a fact y'all are more wary of how you spend your money because it is people's time right to the church well it is a sobering and thing it, to think about that you're receiving yeah from from your hard work and there is work and where we i'm sure we'll talk about that later in this podcast too because <laughs> that was something traumatizing for us kids <laughs> we'll, well get to that we'll get to that it's all our questions list. <laughs> but i think that like while other people get to say this christmas bonus or this this income increase oh we can spend on whatever we want but y'all had to look at it like oh this is people's form of worship and this is this is something people are giving to the lord and the church and that is our income and that is our job and we we do work a lot um especially in the beginning even more than the average 40 hours a week that most people would work you still have to it's think about it's not even about this. the amount of time that you're working it's also the energy that you're required it's not like you're just showing up and clocking in yeah. like you're showing up in the room where someone is dying and yeah. their loved ones are starting the grieving the emotional process toll and you're too. the one that's meant to bring comfort and god but, into the right room. you're not just being <laughs> stewards of your income you're being stewards of the church's mm -hmm. payment to you and that's mm -hmm. that's something greater than someone's nine to five lawyer or doctor job mm -hmm. because there's something about you have to honor the way that people are choosing to sacrifice and it is your income you still have to pay your bills but you need to be honoring of how you invest it after the bills are paid michael that was that's really good and profound and it's only been recently that i've even thought about well i mean i think i've always known it but thought about people's money being their worship and actually Jennifer in the office gave a kind of a devo to the staff one day. I don't know. She's our financial secretary. And so she was talking about how it struck her one day as she's counting the money that, that we're, this is literally people's worship. And so she was exhorting all of the staff in the way that they're all managing their budgets. Like we were just talking about the money that actually stays at the church. The doesn't church come into our pocketbooks. Right. And she was just saying like, we're, when we're buying whatever it is we're buying, we're spending people's worship. But it does bring a whole nother level to that when you're thinking about that's also how you're spending your personal money. And um, yeah, it's true. And I think one of the things that I tried to do, and it was a it, it was a, an impossible task, I guess, as a mother of PKs, is that I tried to um, level the playing field and I tried to say to people, um, you know, if they would come up saying your child did da 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 da, I mean, I want to say, well, all the kids are children of the king, so they all need to behave a certain way. Because I was trying to make y'all not feel like, well, I have to behave a certain way because my dad's the pastor. I wanted to really minimize that and maximize the fact that we're all children of God, and in that way, we're all the same. And so, I think that's an impossible task. It is yeah. impossible. You can't. You're not the same. You're not. At the end of the day, like, yes, ultimately, as humans, we're us, all the same. We're not the same. But we're not yeah. the same. Like, if you were to strip away all of, yeah, all of people's opinions, all of the drama, all of the adult stuff that we had to deal with, and other kids just got to be kids. Yeah. That's true. Like, we were definitely subject to adult things. I mean, there was no way. Well, and we would know, like, for instance, if stuff. someone on staff was going to be leaving, we knew before everybody else. We and knew we when the youth pastor to. was transitioning to a different church yeah. before everybody else. And we weren't else. allowed to say anything. Yeah. And we helped keep secrets those kind of secrets yeah. to say and we were coached on how to represent that in a it's almost like a PR like public relations coaches yeah. like we were coached not just by you but by other people on staff to, on how to, to articulate not the ask positive yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. did you know that yeah I mean I'm not surprised <laughs> when someone asks about so and so leaving how are you going to answer right. oh well this is something they felt called to do and it's a yeah. Pleasant, and 
mutual release. We're sorry to see them go, but we pray God's and no best over them. churches are in competition with each other. No. Like, this is just how it works. <laughs> how the yeah, we're taught well. Yes. <laughs> like, we know all the right answers. I mean. Okay. Well, let's transition and talk about, I mean, this is all good stuff. Let's talk a little bit about, like, what are some of the most positive memories you have of either something that happened or someone that did something? Like, what are some of your most positive experiences, things that happened that really were probably helped to shape and form you that you're really grateful for that happened because of you being a PK. You take first this time. I appreciate <laughs> that because I've just been thinking about as we're talking, like we're finding a lot of common ground, but I know that in our childhood experiences, I had a more positive experience than you did. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, me, Kaylee. <laughs> True. Michael, Michael she, found her rebellion in high school. So. Yeah. Um, positive aspects. I loved being special. Like all those, there's positive and negative that comes with that. And we've talked about a lot of the negative, but the positive aspects was like one time I remember on a Sunday night, I cut my finger with scissors. I was like four. And mm -hmm. I just left <laughs> in the classroom <laughs> and went to go find my mom. And who's going to stop you? Who's going to stop you? Yeah, I mean, they didn't see me. I just snuck out and <laughs> took off. But, like, I knew that there were going to be major ramifications for that, and I knew exactly where my mom was in the church building, and I went straight there. I don't know. You mm -hmm. probably don't remember that. I don't, but there I was wish another I did. time where I, maybe it was scissors or maybe it was, like, lead. I was trying to put lead of one pencil into a eraser of another pencil and it slipped and went into oh. my hand <laughs> oh. but um like that aspect of feeling this freedom when I was at church to move like I wanted to move and to go mm. and I did it and maybe it's because you and no not maybe because <laughs> you Michael as my older sister like you protected me from a lot of the judgment and like because of almost because of your I feel like some people perceive like, oh, you had a bad attitude and you were Arrogant. feisty. Spicy. <laughs> we still call you spicy, spicy to this day. Yeah, feisty and spicy. I just call like, people out. Yeah, but you like, it's, be, it's like almost because you did that for me, I was able to just like be sweet and, be <laughs> and smooth. And like, if someone's like, oh, well, this is the rule. And I'm like, right, this is why I should be exempt from that rule. <laughs> <laughs> well, Michael, if I were confronted in a hallway, would be like, do you know so who I am? Those <laughs> right. I'm Tom McCoy's daughter. You can't tell me what to Right. Do. And thank you so much. And me, like, I would be like, thank you so much for being here and serving Jesus. And I am here also serving Jesus and I need to do this for this reason. So we're going to stay friends and I'm going to do what I want to do. And you can't stop me. And so like, that's just one thing that comes to mind when I think about my early childhood, but like I always felt throughout my entire young life that I, if there was something that I didn't feel like I could or wanted to talk to my parents about, I had other trusted adults that I could talk to. Yeah. And I, there were several of them. I could name a few people right now, just from memory at 30 years old, that it was, I felt seen from me by specific people and not as, oh, the pastor's daughter. Like there were definitely people and I could, and I had this like, Discernment. early discernment like yeah. I could tell who's being authentically like one example for at the week of prayer we were a little bit older elementary school and like everyone was invited to pray with their families but our parents and probably Chip's Chip was like leading and so our youth pastor at the time Topher and Leah came and prayed with us and it was like the sweetest thing because they they were young adults and they didn't have kids yet and they just like I don't remember that included mm -hmm. us in the prayer time and so like things mm -hmm. like that were really made me feel like this expanded sense of safety and empowerment in my life because I knew that even if my parents were occupied which often they were and there was hurt behind that you know like we had that system where we had to squeeze your hand yes three <laughs> three times if it was an emergency <laughs> yeah. because you didn't want us to interrupt you while you were talking to church members and that made sense but there are always well other kids I mean come on there's a lot of kids out there today that would not do that mm -hmm. but there were always mm -hmm. other adult trusted adults around all mm -hmm. the time 
which I feel like was an incredibly positive piece of my experience. I would mm-hmm. agree with that. Of course, it's easier to remember the hard and the bad because that's what leaves the lasting pain. And it's funny to think that, you know, the lasting happiness is easily overshadowed, uh, overshadowed by mm-hmm. lasting pain. Mm-hmm. Do you have any mm-hmm. other positive ones before I start? Mm-hmm. Those are the big ones. I mean, my first mission trips were really exciting because, like, my very first mission trip, there was no other. My parents didn't go. My siblings weren't there. But, like, Miss Donna and Pastor Steve and yep. Brent were there. <laughs> yeah, and so, like, that. that's what I'm talking about. Those other trusted adults. And, like, mm-hmm. it was really overwhelming for me the first couple of days because, like, this is this sweet little innocent Williamson County pastor's daughter at just turned 12 years old, seventh grade, going to a third world country where it was the rainy season, we got there at night, we got in the school bus and drove through Managua, which is like, at the time, Nicaragua was the poorest country in this hemisphere. Now it's Haiti, but Haiti and Nicaragua trade places for that prize. And like, I was overwhelmed, but I had, like, I was held and supported. And like, when you left, I had a trusted adult. When you Mm. left as a teenager, I had a trusted adult. I had made a promise to you that I wouldn't tell mom and dad. And I was able to find someone that would talk with me and she even I told talked to her the next morning but she was like you could just come over into my house in the middle of the night (laughs) like and to have that kind of support as a child is so huge that's very sweet Mm -hmm. yeah I I mean I definitely left and we can go into that later if we need to but right now for positive um I don't have many memories of childhood from like Kaylee does, she has profound positive impact. A lot of mine happened when I was going through my what I call my oh, mess. Cross camp. I can't stop. I can't <laughs> yeah, not her cross cross camp. Camp. my favorite week of the year for twenty years. <laughs> That's right. But mine, Love cross camp. <laughs> mine were more. Um, I mean, I I was kind of the mindset. Like Kaylee said, I was the arrogant, I'm going to throw it in your face of who I am. I didn't say you were arrogant. I said well, feisty. Feisty, yes. <laughs> but I'm going to call it like it is. It was arrogance. And a lot of it was hurt, too. It was, you know, if I'm going to be labeled a pastor's daughter, I might as well get something out of it. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I do remember the special treatment. There, there were very few people who would either, one, confront me if I was walking the halls on a Sunday morning or two that would actually tell me I didn't belong there, in which case I was snappy and feisty and would be like, you can go get my dad off stage and tell him what I'm doing. You know, <laughs> kind of yeah, what are you going to do about it? Right. <laughs> and, and that all stems from the fishbowl mentality that I felt a lot younger than I, I would say my siblings felt, um, being the oldest mm-hmm. of just growing up in that fishbowl. Well, and then you created the shield that protected them. That's yeah. what I'm saying. By your feistiness, yeah. they were like, they, they were that, like they didn't have to worry about the it. The younger right. kids, yeah, because mm-hmm. I was able to. Because you'll up. take it for us. Oh, heck yes. Heck yes, I would. Yes, I would. Um, I mm. thought like the only people that could p- pick on my siblings. Was and me. I feel like the people were kind of afraid of you. And so they just <laughs> didn't confront us. <laughs> a little, a little four, five, six, seven, ten year old scaring people. No positive um, impact, I guess the most profound. And, and I do think that some of my mess probably affected my brain chemistry in a way that I can't remember some of my childhood. Um, because I still think there's things deep seated in there that even through therapy that we're digging up. Um, so a lot of the stuff I remember, of course, is going to be from that age timeline of, you know, 15 to 22, where the most, you know, I lived a lot of life for someone my age. Mm-hmm. And, um, so one in particular comes in, a con- uh, just knowledge. I don't know if we're going to be naming names on here, but just to keep their anonymity. But first names, it's, it's if it's positive, I think. Yeah, if it's positive, if I think it's, it's fine. Everybody's positive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're talking section. about the positive, yeah. right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we'll know who you're talking about, right? Yeah. And right. they'll know who I'm talking. about. And they'll about, know, right? Which is good because it's a positive thing. You know, um, I it's n- it's no secret now, but I'm sure a lot of people in um, in our church now, with it being a decade later, don't know what happened to me as the oldest pastor's daughter. And of course, the people that went there now, I mean, then knew everything because it was just being shared everywhere. Um, another negative. <laughs> but, <laughs> we'll get to that later. We'll get to that later. <laughs> um, but I I got pregnant 
um, right out of high school, moved in with my boyfriend that became my husband and now ex-husband, um, with all within a matter of three weeks from my high school graduation. And I was 18. I was an adult legally. Um, and I had many people reach out to me, but, uh, one that stood out was, um, someone on staff, Angela, and she was the only one that could reach me in that mindset. I mean, I was so closed off and in pain and hurting and everybody wanted to talk about, well, what about the pain you're putting your family through? And I'm like, does no one care about my pain? Um, or why I even chose to make these decisions? Um, no one cared to ask. And all Angela did was literally, she came, she texted me or called. I don't know how the connection happened. Like I said, memories are not very great there, but she basically asked me, can I treat you to lunch or take you out or just talk to you? Um, and at the time I was just hanging out at a place my ex worked and I said, sure. She picked me up. She took me to Sonic. Like she didn't even make me sit down in a restaurant. Mm. I didn't dress up back then. I was severely depressed, pregnant sick, whatever. And we just sat in, in her car at Sonic and she said, you know, I'd like to share something with me, with you. And she shared her story and it connected with my story that I was walking. That was just beginning. I mean, um, I made plenty of decisions my junior and sophomore or junior and senior year in high school, but the real part of my story started when I became pregnant with Misty. And so she was telling me about a story that happened that her experience happened decades before and how they correlated with mine. And she said, are you pregnant? And I said, no, of course not. I didn't even know I was pregnant yet. Um, and she said, are so you it sure? it must have been early, right after you moved. It was literally a week after I moved. I didn't take any tests. Um, in fact, Angela finished her conversation. She said, okay, that's great. Reach out to me if you need anything. You know, I'm praying for you. We love you. That kind of thing. And it was just one that I did not feel any judgment. I didn't feel anybody saying, well, what did you, what about your parents in this? What about your family in this? She genuinely cared about me in that. She did not care about the and aftermath. By that point, because of our upbringing, what I just said, like you can, we had discernment. Like we knew who was being real and who wasn't. Yeah. And you could feel that. But she that was being genuine for yeah. sure. Um, so she dropped me back off at uh, his place of work, my ex's work. And then I got a text maybe 15, 20 minutes later and she had my apartment address. Somebody shared it with my parents who then shared it with multiple people that came up to my apartment at that time period. <laughs> but, oh but she um, texted me and said, Hey, I left you something on your um, doorknob for when you get home tonight, please, uh, please make sure you get it and text me when you get it. Uh, we got home that evening, probably about six or seven o'clock and it was a pregnancy test. She had bought one. So she, whatever she felt God leading her to buy one, or she felt in her that I was, and I didn't even know. Um, and it would have been too early to know anyways. Nope. Almost. Too I early. was late. I just had not been thinking about it. Um, cause it was in June and I got pregnant in May. So by the time I walked in the door and was holding the test and Austin was doing whatever, um, I started thinking about the timeline and where I was and when the period should have started. And I realized I was about eight days late mm -hmm. and I had never thought about it. I never, I was 18. I didn't really mm -hmm. track it. I just kind of knew when to expect it. But with all the stress of moving out and the reasons I left and behind everybody's back and people showing up at my apartment and everybody sharing their opinion, I just never thought about that piece that when my period came was really not high on my timeline at that point <laughs> in my life, I like my priorities. Um, went to the bathroom immediately, took the test, and I didn't even have to set it down for a minute. Immediately pregnant. I just, like, it was pregnant. So Angela doing that probably helped me know sooner rather than later. And then, of course, um, I have some other experiences. Like, uh, I would say my, probably my best friend right now, Casey, uh, who's going to be in my wedding later, like, I don't remember much of high school with her, but she remembers and she will tell people this of Sunday schools with um, with her being my Sunday school teacher at 15 or 16 years old. And she said I hated her guts like I did not like her. I was that pastor's kid that was just mad to be forced into church every day, every Sunday, every Wednesday night. And so I was just miserable and she never let it stop her. 
Um, and then she knew of me and knew me from that time all the way through me being with my pregnancy and stuff. And she was one of those people that reached out and just said, I've been where you've been and I'd love to share my story. It was another one of those just discernments, like Kaylee said, of knowing who I could trust at the time that wasn't just trying to get the drama or the story. She was genuinely interested in my heart and how I was feeling and just checking in on me. And we connected then. She shared her experience with her oldest child and later. And then from there, um, she ended up walking my uh, all through my divorce, my marriage, um, the abuse, the court visits. I mean, she was the person who went with me to court when I didn't want my parents involved and needed somebody to help me and be there with me. And then she was actually the house that I would land at after uh, court if I needed to basically just vent or cry or be held if I didn't take anybody with me before I faced my children at home or my parents because there were things I wanted to protect my family from um, that I experienced that would come out in court. And now, I mean, I would call her my best friend and my closest confidant, and she has supported me and failed relationships and then now my successful one of being engaged and ready for marriage and she's going to be in my wedding and she just she loves unconditionally and genuinely that is something that i can thank because of thompson station church so that's definitely um two very positive relationships that came out of um, being raised as a pastor's kid that as a doctor's child or a lawyer's child, I might never get to experience because of the community and family that is created from yeah. the church. It's great. It's great. It's great. Michael and Kaylee enjoyed sharing so much that we have more, several more episodes. I have to share this about Michael's friend, Casey. When Michael was having Misty at the hospital, our relationship was fragile, and so Michael spent most of her time in labor behind closed doors where I made the entire family sit in vigil. Kaylee and TJ did not appreciate me so much for that. I was out of my mind for most of that time. But Casey, whom I didn't know really well back then, was messaging me to tell me how she felt when she was the daughter having the baby. And with her sharing of her story, she gave me hope. Casey has always been there bridging the gap between Michael and me, giving me insight and encouragement and reminders that God's got this. <laughs> Join us in the next episode as the girls continue to share by sharing their worst experiences as PKs and lots of other things as our conversation continues. And as always, share this episode with anyone who might be encouraged by listening. Especially share it with any PKs you know and pastor's wives and pastors. They will love it.